Welcome to the Hutto Community Church Podcast. HCC is located in Hutto, Texas, and is led by Pastor Russell Daniel. For more information, please check out our website at huttocommunitychurch.org. Today, as we dive into God's Word, we're going to be in Luke chapter 10, so you can go ahead and put your finger there, as we're going to talk about the subject, religion versus relationship. Now, uh, a few months back, Brooke and I went to, we had date night, and one of the things we like to do, especially early on before it gets as hot as it is now, is we like to go to the Round Rock Express baseball games. And uh, so we'll get a babysitter, and Brooke and I will go, and we'll get good seats, and which they're all good seats at uh, Dell Diamond, and uh, just enjoy baseball. Uh, we both grew up playing baseball and softball, respectively, and so we love the game. And uh, we were there, gosh, I think this was back in April, and uh, great game, wonderful atmosphere, until about the eighth inning. And now being a baseball person, and I was a catcher, you know if the ump is good or bad real fast, right? And the umpire they had that night was clearly very bad. He didn't know a ball from a strike, and I think he needed some glasses or something. And so I'm all for heckling an umpire, right? He needs to know if he's not doing a good job. However, there was a gentleman that sat back to our left who decided that he needed to say something every single pitch from the eighth inning on. And so, guys, I just, I have to be honest. I did not have some very Christian thoughts, okay? (laughs) I wanted to go back up there, and it's a good thing Brooke was there, and I wanted to tell him to shut his mouth, or I'd shut it for him, you know, in a very polite and Christian way, of course. Uh, And it just got to be excessive. And so, at that moment, religion kicks in, right? And I begin to judge this guy, and think, well, this drunkard back here is ruining my night, and I don't have to treat him in a Christ-like manner, and I'm going to go up there, and I'm going to tell him how it is, and if he wants to take it outside, we can take it outside. All of those thoughts begin to go through my head. You ever been there? You ever been in a moment where uh, you've been walking, most of you've been walking with the Lord for a long time, and maybe even decades, but you just, something happens and you just get so irritated inside and you begin to judge someone and begin to have all these negative thoughts about why you don't have to teach them or have to treat them in a Christ-like manner. Well, as we dive into scripture today, I think the Lord has something to say to us about this. And today, as we continue talking about parables, we're going to be looking at the parable of the Good Samaritan. So without further ado, let's go ahead and dive in to Luke chapter 10, and we're going to start in verse 25. I know those steps. (laughs) Verse 25, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed leaving him half dead. 
Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went down to him and bound up his wounds, pouring oil on and wine. And he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. Now, I absolutely love this story. It's, a, it's, a, it's just a great picture, right? Like here's Jesus and he's gathered around and his disciples have just come back from when uh, Jesus sent out the 72 and they've done all kinds of miracles and cast out all kinds of demons. And then uh, there's a crowd that gathers around and one lawyer stands up. And by lawyer, this is an expert in the book of law, meaning the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. He knows it backwards and forwards and up, down, in all different kinds of ways, okay? He knows it. It's his job to know it. And really, he asks a great question, but with bad motives. And he says, listen, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? All right, again, great question there. And what Jesus does, and I love this, he turns it back on to the guy and says, no, hey, you're the expert in the law. How is it that you read it? And just as an aside here, like this is just phenomenal, right? Jesus immediately points him back to the law. Now, I think that tells us that the law has some great value here. In fact, what the law does is the law reveals sin. Law reveals sin. And so it, in a way, Jesus is setting him up here because at the end of this whole thing, the man's sin is going to be very obvious to him. And so he's setting him up here in the very beginning because he knows what's coming, right? And so for us, we have to understand that the purpose of the law is to reveal sin. Uh, Paul would say this in uh, Romans chapter 3 and verse 20. He would say, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law, get this, comes knowledge of sin, right? Law reveals sin. He goes on in uh, Romans 7, 7, he says, what shall we say then that the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had said, you shall not covet. And so Jesus points him back to the law and says, you're the expert how do you see it? Now, of course, he knew what the guy was going to say. And great answer here, right? He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. He quotes the, the greatest commandment and the second greatest commandment. But he couldn't leave the issue alone, right? And in this moment, I just kind of pictured myself there, like gathered around with all the disciples and, and you see his answer and you're like, okay, this is the end of the conversation. And then it's like a kid who wants to argue, right? And then they open their mouth again, and you're just like, no, like, don't do this. Don't do this. It's not going to end well for you. But then he says, 
And who is my neighbor? Because he must justify himself before the Lord. Now, before we get too judgmental on this guy, we just have to point out that we're the lawyer. Because we want to justify all of our actions as well, right? And what we see here is with religion, we justify our actions. With religion, we justify our actions. Because we can define our terms however we want. We can set our own boundaries. We can make up our own rules. And we can say, this applies in this situation over here. But when it comes to this situation, it doesn't apply anymore, right? Like when we're at the baseball game and the drunk idiot behind us begins yelling at the umpire every single pitch, then we can say, well, I don't have to treat this guy because this is, he's drunk, okay? He's this guy. He's ruining the night for everybody else. I don't have to treat him like Jesus. Or, or what about the other parent on the soccer team, right? Like the one who in four-year-old soccer thinks this is the FIFA World Cup and you're just like, oh my goodness, like, please stop. And so we don't treat them like Jesus, even though we should. We don't act in a Christ-like manner, even though we should. What about our kids' school teacher who maybe is confused about their gender identity, right? And we say, well, if you just look at what God gave you, then you'd figure it out. And so we begin to treat them in a different way because we see their sin and we've put them in a separate category and saying, I don't have to treat you in a Christ-like manner because you're not measuring up to whatever my rules are, see? With religion, we've set rules, we've defined terms, and we figure a way how we, we justify ways that we don't have to be Christ-like because of blank, right? But it's not just there, it's the waitress at lunch today, right? And she can't even bring you a cold glass of water and get your order wrong and say, well, we're going to, she'll figure it out when she doesn't get a tip, right? And we say those kinds of things. And so on and on we go, what about our families, Right? And you have asked your child not to do this again and again and again. And finally, you just lose it. You say things you shouldn't say. You throw things you shouldn't throw. And all of a sudden, there's this blow up in the house because I have told them not to do this. And we, we justify our behavior because of somebody else's actions. And just as a side note, we're all responsible for our own behavior. Nobody else is holding a gun to your head to make you do anything. Right? So we've got to look in the mirror and measure ourselves up before the Lord as to what we have done. And we see the same things happen in this story that Jesus does, right? Now, I love that he doesn't just come out and say, hey, dude, here's who your neighbor is. But he says, let me tell you a story. Right? So uh, a Jew going down the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, which Jerusalem is on a mountain. So he's literally going downhill to Jericho. And he falls among robbers, right? Gets beat up, left for dead, gets mugged. Okay, here we are. Then a priest shows up. A priest is going down that road probably, again, having just ministered at the temple and is going back home to his family. Comes by this guy and begins to justify in his own heart why he doesn't have to help. I've just got done ministering at the temple. My family is waiting for me. We've got plans. We're going out of town. I don't have time to help this guy. I'm going to walk around. But then a Levite comes, and a Levite would also help in the, in the ministry of the temple, right? And so the Levite comes, and he sees the guy, and 
Well, maybe he's going to the temple, and so he can't defile himself by getting blood all over himself and helping this guy. He's probably going to die anyway, so it's not a big deal. Let's just move on with life. And he goes around. And to really bring this home, let's bring this up to modern day, right? It's Sunday morning. I'm on the way to church. There's a car wreck that happens just in front of me. Guy's thrown from his vehicle. I see him there fighting for his life. And I say, well, it's not my problem. I got to preach this morning. So on my way, I go. Joey's coming right behind me. And and he's the second one to drive by because it's Sunday morning and nobody's really out yet. And he says, well, nobody's going to lead worship. If I stop and help, I got to lead worship at church today. So he drives on by. Now think of person you hate the most person you despise. You just can't stand to be around them. Maybe they're a liar. Maybe they're a thief. Whatever it is, that person drives up, gets out of the car, takes their shirt off, stops the bleeding, puts them in their car, drives them to the hospital, has blood all over their car, takes them out to the doctor. Doctor heals them, gets in his car, drives around to the accounting, pulls out his debit card and says, hey, whatever this guy owes, you put it on my account. I'll take care of it. See, that's the story here because a Samaritan was a hated person. All of the uh, Israelites had been carried off into exile and only the poorest of the poor were left, yet they intermarried with other nations and they worshiped other gods. These were half-breeds. These were people that didn't even deserve to live. But it was that person who came along and helped the Jewish man. And so we see the power of this story here, that it's not about position, it's not about religion per se, it's really about love, it's about having compassion for other people. And so what we see is, again, is that relationship asks, to whom can I be a neighbor? To whom can I be a neighbor? See, the lawyer wanted to justify himself and say, well, who is my neighbor, right? Let's define it. Let's, put it. Let's make some rules. But relationship says, I'm here to be a neighbor. Who is it that needs help? Who is it that I can go and visit? Who is it that needs a meal baked for them? Who can I go and just be a shoulder for someone to cry on? Who can I be a neighbor to? And that's what the Samaritan was doing, Right? He was ready, he was willing, he was able, and he had compassion that comes from a heart full of love. Because at the end of the day, it's about loving God and loving people, regardless of who they are, regardless of what they've done to you, regardless of how they've treated you or served you or not served you in a way that you expected. It's about loving people regardless. And so we see that that religion is philosophical and relationship is practical. Because again, the lawyer, he wanted to argue about this. He wanted to talk about this in theory. And I think a lot of times, even in Christian circles, we can do this. We know what the Bible says. We know it. We know that we're supposed to love God and love people. But we want to keep it in the abstract over here in this little corner so that we don't actually have to act on it. But see, relationship and love, it it meets practical needs, right? Because if if your kid calls or or perhaps your best friend in the whole wide world calls and, and says, I need you at this very moment, you drop everything 
and you go to them. It doesn't matter if you have to get on a plane and fly around the world. Uh, you're going to take their kids for the evening or the afternoon. You're going to bake a meal. You're going to clean their house. You're going to do whatever it is because you have relationship with them. And, and I'm really of the mind that if we would all take more time instead of trying to justify our actions, and if we would take that energy and if we would use that to get to know people, whether it's the, the waiter who's not serving you well, or if it's the grumpy convenience store clerk, whomever that is, if we would have relationship on some level, then we would have compassion and understanding for other people and what they're going through and be a better vessel for Christ as we serve them, right? But we've got to get out of the abstract. We've got to move from duty to love. First John chapter 4 Verses 7 through 11 reminds us of this. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. And so John just brings it home to us and says, listen, if you don't have love in your heart, you don't know God. But if you have love, you know God. And sometimes when I look at the world around us and I, I think about people that I want to judge and people that I want to put in that category of those people, sometimes those people have more love in their heart than I do. And I've got to do a heart check on me. Now, sometimes I, I think we want to, again, justify ourselves and say, well, what is this going to cost me? Do I really have to do this if being compassionate and being loving is going to cost me. Like, is it going to cost me somebody's hospital bill? Well, maybe, but probably not. It'll probably cost you a little energy, a little effort, maybe a little money here and there. Might, might mean you're just a better friend to people you already know. But in reality, what I want us to remember is that when we are compassionate, we're, we're being compassionate, when we're being loving, when we're serving other people, what we're really doing is we're serving Jesus right? We're serving Jesus. And I think so oftentimes we forget that. And we forget that sometimes we're entertaining angels and don't even know it, right? Matthew chapter 25, verse 35, I just want to remind you of this, just to encourage you as you serve and as you have love and compassion for other people, you're doing it for Jesus. Because Jesus would say, at the end day, he's going to come to us and it's going to be it's going to be like this. Jesus will say, for I was hungry. You gave me food. I was thirsty. You gave me something to drink. I was a stranger. You welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then the righteous are going to say, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? When did we do these things? We didn't do those. And then the king will reply, truly, I say to you, as you did to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And so as we go and as we have the Samaritan's heart, the heart of compassion, the heart of love, 
we remember that it's, while it is about the other person and serving them, it's really about serving Jesus and about being obedient to his commands. It's about worrying less about who our neighbor is and worrying more about, am I being a good neighbor to other people? And so today, I just want to end with a couple of questions for reflection for you and for me. And number one is, well, how do I treat people? How do I treat people in my own household? How do I treat people that I disagree with? How do I treat people I don't like? How do I treat people with different political views than me? How do I treat people with different uh, views about gender than I do or about gun laws or whatever the issue is? How do I treat other people? Because I think sometimes we get so pitted in our corner, especially with social media, that we forget the command is to love and to love one another. And then how's my heart? Right? And, and there's a connection here because when I can look at myself and know, man, I'm not treating people the way that I should. Right? And I said something to the guy at the ball game that I shouldn't have said, or I, I, I let that soccer parent know that they need to just calm down a little bit, whatever the case is. When I'm in that place, I know something's wrong with my heart, right? Now, I need to get before the Lord and say, what is broken in me? And, and just have a prayer, Lord, would you please come and fix me before I go and try to fix everybody else, right? Like help me to take care of the, the, the speck or the log in my own eye before I go and try to help somebody else. Am I operating through the lens of religion or relationship? And then ask the question again, am I being a good neighbor? Am I being a good neighbor? And today as we, we close, I was on uh, Facebook this week and read a um, pastor friend of mine who reposted something else. And I thought it was very applicable to today. And it's a little bit longer of a post, so I'm, I'm going to read it to you today. But I, I hope you will listen and take heart to it. Uh, it's titled, On Becoming Sweet in One's Old Age. Sweetness, I mean spiritual sweetness, does not happen spontaneously as you age. No, it has been my observation, and I know nothing to contradict it, that a lifetime of criticizing people and things and events and always being negative results in a sour old age. And that a lifetime of kindness and putting into practice a passage like Philippians 4.8 bears rich in spiritual sweetness. Years ago, I knew a Christian brother uh, more than double my age who helped me enormously in some areas of doctrine. But as I spent time with him, I noticed that his speech was invariably very critical of others. Indeed, it was a biting, biting in his criticism. I found that after I was with him for a while, I felt polluted in mind and heart. I'm not sure how even to express how I felt. I just knew that it was not good for my soul to be with him. So over time, I allowed our friendship to die. I did confront him about one issue, but to no avail. Now, social media, which feeds on outrage and biting sarcasm, has heightened this problem. Unlike the butterfly, we should not expect that after spending a lifetime immersed in negativity and anger, that we emerge from such a cocoon into the sunlight of sweetness and biblical meekness. And so today, church, I, I want to challenge us to be a people who are like the Good Samaritan, to be a people who meditate on Philippians 4.8, who think about 
the highest things, the things that are worthy of thinking about, the, the, the things that are positive, that are worthy of praise, that are excellent, that we might have a sweetness to us of having been with Jesus and having received his grace, that we would also be a people who are grace givers, even when perhaps they don't deserve to be. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed today's podcast, you can subscribe, share it with your friends, or visit our website at huddocommunitychurch.org. Thanks again for listening, and God bless.